looking at some statistics. These are some scary statistics. It's not up on the screen, but here's just some statistics about uh, my role. Um, and as I read these things, I got a little more depressed. And uh, 80% of pastors believe that the pastoral ministry affects their families negatively. Um, 33 say that being in ministry is an outright hazard to their to their family. 50% feel unable to meet the needs of their job. 25% of pastors' wives see their husbands' work schedule as a source of real conflict. The clergy, those in pastoral ministry, has the second highest divorce rate among all professions. 80% of pastors say that they have insufficient time with their spouse. There's, you know, this, the list went on. I kind of grabbed some of the ones that really caught my eye. But, um, you know, as I juggle my role, my responsibility, this is what I do full time. Um, uh, and as, as a pastor, as I'm juggling these different responsibilities that I have, um, sometimes I hit the wall of discouragement. And, and it's weird because I, I honestly um, didn't experience that all too much until this season of my life. And so when I hit the wall, sometimes I really have, have, have come to a stopping point where I did not know what to do. And I, I come to, I've been at some meetings with, you know, uh, our leadership, and, and sometimes I'll be like, I don't know what I'm, what I'm feeling. I can't express how I'm feeling. I can't express these emotions I'm, I'm experiencing. Because some of it is, is really honestly new to me that in, in, this, in this way. And I realize it's, it takes more when you're discouraged and when you're disappointed or when you're having a rough day. It takes more than to just identify you're having a rough day and then go on as business as usual. If you watch the movie Titanic, you know, Titanic, they know they're going to, they hit an iceberg. The, 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 this massive ship begins to sink. And some people, they, um, they identify, yeah, we've got a problem. Some people just rearrange the deck chairs and they go on caring about their business, playing their music, just kind of going on. And there's this disaster happening. And, but it takes more than just identifying there's a problem. There's, there's actually a time and place to, to do something different in our lives. In your life um, and your circumstances are, are very likely different than mine. Uh, you probably don't have the same vocation that I have, but you probably do experience the wall and the dark days. And like me, sometimes it's probably very difficult to put into words exactly how you're feeling when you're going through it. But what you do know is it just you feel rotten. And uh, so I want to look at this. Um, you can follow along in your listening guide if you'd like. At the top of it, it says this. All of us deal with disappointments, every single one of us. There's no one that's immune to disappointments and discouragement. All of us at some level face this stuff. We have emotions, and therefore this downward spiral in our lives is very, very normal. It may not feel good, but it's very normal. When the dark days hit, we have a choice to make. Am I going to spiral deeper into the deepest waters to where I can't see anything, to where there's no way out, to where everything is unclear to me? Or will I try to, to, make, will I try to take some steps to make my way back to the surface so I can find my way out? Am I caught in this forever? Our society would say that you know when depression comes up and when discouragement comes up, you're probably never going to get out of that. And so let's just manage it and let's, let's deal with it in some ways. But you're probably not going to find victory. And I think God wants us to find victory through the darkness. And, but when you hit discouragement, um, you're not alone. When I go through this stuff, when you go through this stuff, we are not alone. We're in very good company. In fact, there's some people in the Scripture I'd like to highlight, spend some time on as we, as we uh, begin this. By looking at some champions of our Christian faith, some people that show up in the Bible 
who went through some very, very dark days. The first one is a guy named Elijah. Elijah, you find his story in, chap- in the book of 1 Kings. And in 1 Kings um, chapter 18, which we're not going to look at, but I'd like to sum up, um, Elijah is like the last prophet standing. He's the last man of God who, who wasn't killed or who hadn't given up in his job. A, he was a spokesman for God. And he, he finds himself coming up against 450 prophets to a pagan god named Baal. So 450 prophets of Baal come up against Elijah, and Elijah basically is, uh, calls upon God to display his power before these false prophets. And so he has this test where there's a sacrifice made, and there's these altars set up, and basically he says, why don't, why don't I speak to God and say, God, would you consume this sacrifice? And why don't you, 450 prophets, speak to your God and have, you know, if he's really God of... You know, if your God is real, then have him consume the sacrifice. And, well, so the prophets of Baal go through this different, go through this different uh, chanting and, and, and crying out to their God, and they're trying to get something to happen, and nothing happens. Nothing happens to the sacrifice. It just stays there. And, you know, it says no one answered. There was no response. No one answered, and they danced around the altar that they had made. So they just kept going on and on, and then Elijah begins to taunt them. He says, maybe you need to shout louder. Maybe your God doesn't hear. So, you know, speak up. Surely he is a God. Perhaps he is in deep thought. Or maybe he's off traveling, he says. It's kind of, maybe he's sleeping. Maybe he needs to be awakened. So they shouted louder and they slashed themselves with swords and spears, as was their custom, until their blood flowed. Midday passed and they continued their frantic prophecy until the time for this evening sacrifice, but there was no response. No one answered. No one paid attention. Then Elijah took some stones. I'm going to skip forward. He took some stones that represented God's people. And he built an altar and he dug a trench around this altar. He arranged the wood. He cut the bull into pieces and he laid it on the wood. And then he said to them, fill four large jars of water. Pour it on the offering and on the wood. Do it again, he said. And they did it again. Do it a third time, he ordered. And they did it the third time. The water was so much that it ran over the altar and even filled the trench. And at that time of sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and he prayed this powerful prayer. This is like a spiritual high point for this man. Oh, Lord God of Abraham, he cried, Isaac and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and have done all these things at your command. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, so these people will know that you are Lord, that you, O Lord, are God, and that you are turning their hearts back again. Then it says in verse 38 of chapter 18, Then the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, and the soil, and also licked up the water in the trench. And God just displays this mighty work. And as you can imagine, everyone is in awe, and everyone is shaking. And God grants victory. And these 450 prophets of this false god who had come up really to, um, to take Elijah out, God gave victory and has these prophets slaughtered. God was, was proving his power through this experience in, in Elijah. In this high point, um, you know, you could just imagine how he must have been feeling. My God is, is, is great. My God is, is real. He, he does these powerful acts. And right after this encounter, the king, King Ahab, was married to a very wicked woman, Jezebel. She begins to go after Elijah and taunt him. 
And I want you to, to look at ver- chapter 19, verse 1. It should be up on the screen. It says, Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with a sword. And so Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, she's putting a curse on him, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. And it says in verse 3, now he just seen God come through and do this amazing work. In verse 3, Elijah was afraid, and he ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in, in Judah, he left his servant there while he himself was went a day journey into the desert. He came to a broom tree, sat down under it, and he prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the tree, and he falls asleep. You can stop right there in the verse, but... Elijah, he was just as human as we are. We have good days and we have these bad days. People come after us. We have some things we expected. And, you know, this isn't what he was expecting. He just probably expected for God to triumph and for peace to come and be promoted throughout the land and for God to... That just wasn't happening. And he has this rough experience. And you can read the rest of the story. He goes through this roller coaster ride. He swings into depression and God comes to his aid. Another guy, Moses, and not going to go into too much detail, but he was God's man to lead God's people out of captivity. They were captive as slaves in Egypt. And at one point, he's in the wilderness wandering, and God had done some amazing things. He provided food for them on a daily basis out of heaven. In in a really miraculous way, he'd seen God come through. He provided some instructions for God's people. And then the, the people he was leading began to get discouraged. They began to lose hope and lose faith in God. And look at what he says. Because of all the complaining and criticism he was facing, he says, God, I can't carry all these people by myself. This burden is too heavy for me. If this is how you're going to treat me, put me to death right now, if I have found favor in your eyes, and do not let me face my own ruin. You know, again, from high to low. And he sees, this is, this is what we experience in our lives. Another guy, David, king of Israel, God's spiritual leader, You know, at one point, people were chanting his name by the thousands. People are just in love with this man. And then enemies start rising up, countless enemies. David had countless enemies. Even some people from his own family, his own relatives even, some of them hated him. And some of them hated him for no apparent reason. He experienced just these ongoing insults and trouble, and he cries out to God, and he says, Save me. In Psalm 69, Save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck. He's saying, I'm slipping. I sink into the miry depths where there is no foothold. There's nothing to grab onto, he's saying. I've come into the deep waters. The floods engulf me. I'm worn out, calling for help. My throat is parched. My eyes fail, looking for God. So all these guys were experiencing feelings of just sinking deeper and deeper. And we can relate because of the way we feel. Uh, where does this stuff come from? There's a, there's a little chart. The, the depression progression. A friend of mine put this together, and I wanted to share it with you. This kind of outlines where depression comes from. Depression is kind of the 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 last stop. You know, when we hit depression, things are really, really bad. But it can it it gets there over this progression of events. Starts with expectation. Expectations. We anticipate a certain outcome. We expect something to happen in a certain way. You know, I I think things are going to go this way in life. I have a business plan. Here's my five-year plan for my business. And 
you know, you might think this is my career plan and this is, this is what's going to happen in year three and then in year five and that's our expectations. It starts with that. Or the person that we think we're going to become. We have this picture in our mind. We have an expectation. Or maybe it's the desire for a certain kind of friend, a, a close friend, a, a, a relationship, someone who will be trustworthy and there's this expectation. Or maybe it's a marriage, the kind of person, a specific person you think you're going to marry. We have these expectations. That's where this stuff begins. Depression, it begins at expectation. Then <clears throat> there's disappointment. Our hopes were not met. We expected something different to happen. The deal fell through. The marriage split. It's falling apart. The relationship, you just broke up. The economy turned the wrong direction. We were disappointed. We had an expectation. Now we're disappointed. That leads us to anger. Anger crops up. We're displeased. We're, we're frustrated, antagonizing over blocked goals. Again, we wished it would happen differently. And you could, you could think about Moses and David and Elijah and just this. They had expectations. They thought certain things were going to happen. They were disappointed when it didn't happen. The way that there's this opportunity for anger. And you see that. You read that in those passages. Then there's discouragement. After anger, there's discouragement, which is when we're deprived of courage. Courage or confidence, we're just flat out disheartened. We have a loss of courage, meaning we lose our mental and our moral strength and our firmness to venture forward, to get a hold of things and, and grab things, get our hands around things and move forward in life with courage. That's We lose that when we hit this point. Or we lose confidence. We doubt we can achieve anything. We doubt we can have what we want. We lose faith in our power or in our ability to get things done in life, or we lose heart. This is when our spirit inside of us, our determination, our ability to achieve things in life, it gets, it gets crumbled. It gets broken down. We lose enthusiasm. You kind of see this in the Scripture in a, in a passage in 1 Samuel chapter 17. It's not up on the screen, but you might jot that down, where the Israelites, God's people, they saw a warrior that they were about to face in battle. His name was Goliath. And he was this nine-foot-tall Philistine. So, you know, nine-foot-tall warrior that's taunting the armies, God's army. And he's, he's, he's taunting them. He's, and and they are, they're shaking in fear. They're looking at this guy. Now, I'm not even four feet. So, I mean, I'd, I'm 5'7", so, you know, I don't know what that is. A couple of three feet, you know, three and a half feet. You know, just this massive guy. And they're shaking in their boots. No one wants to fight him. No one wants to go down. No one wants to die. And the Scripture says, in 1 Samuel 17, 11, it says, On hearing the Philistines' words, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed, and they were terrified. That's describing the loss of heart, the loss of courage and confidence. And Scripture says that David, the youngest brother, the youngest of eight brothers, he joined his brothers at the battle lines. His father sent him to join his brothers and he gets there and he sees that everyone is shaking in their boots. Everyone is terrified. And they're saying, look at this guy. We're going to get slaughtered. We're going to get killed. They had no confidence. And David, he heard the reports. And he, he runs to the king and he says, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. He's saying, I'll, I'll take him down. And if you know the story, you can read about it in 1 Samuel chapter 17. You see God come through. You see God deliver. But David saw that his brothers... And the rest of God's men were quickly progressing down the wrong road. They'd lost heart. They'd lost courage. 
This is, that's when we're discouraged. We, we do not think it's worth moving on. We do not think we can push forward. And if, we, if the progression doesn't stop, it leads us to the last stage, which is depression. Depression is sadness. It's distress of mind. We have feelings of grief, like we have sorrow over, over loss. If you've ever lost a loved one, the death of a loved one, maybe your possessions were taken or your possessions are breaking down. Things are falling apart in your life. Circumstances in your life are just not going the way you'd planned. We, we can have feelings of guilt, of remorse, of regret. And again, in Psalm chapter 42, we see this. You don't have it in your, in your, in your guide again, but just I want to read a psalm. David's crying out. I'm sorry, actually. War had torn up this kingdom. And God's people were held captive in another land. And so this, this prayer comes out of that. It says, My tears have been my food day and night. This is depression. While men say to me all day long, Where is your God? There's taunting daily by their enemies. Verses, These things I remember as I pour out my soul. How I used to go with the multitude. This guy in his prayer, he's... He's remembering some of the good times in the past. He said, I remember leading the procession to the house of God with shouts of joy and thanksgiving among among the festive throng. That's like a large, noisy crowd. He's saying, I remember the good days. But then he says, why are you downcast, O my soul? Why are you so disturbed within me? The psalmist knew that until something changed in his life, his soul would be troubled. He wasn't going to make any progress. And... When we experience these types of things, it does feel like what our society wants us to believe, that there is no way out, that there is no hope. So all you can do is patch some things up, but there's no hope for you. And God would say otherwise. Here's some signs of depression. You see those in your outline. Feeling dejected, feeling despairing, desperate, hopeless, despondent. You might have difficulty thinking, concentrating on things, maybe... Maybe even sleeping. A significant increase. These are signs of depression. Is a significant increase or decrease in appetite, time spent sleeping. Some people face suicide. There's all of these things. My hope is that if you find yourself somewhere in the progression where you're slipping downward, that you would allow God to help you stop this. That you'd give Him the opportunity to help you over time to find the surface. And what we're going to do each week is look at just a few principles that help us get out of the swamp. And so the first one is this. Um, the first step is to resurfacing is to admit you're disappointed. That takes a lot to admit disappointment. And then to ask God to help us. Admit disappointment, ask God to help us. This is the pattern that you find in Psalms. If you were to take a journey through the book of Psalms, it's in the middle of your Bible. If you have a Bible with you, you can pretty much go to the middle and you know open it up and you're pretty much going to find the book of Psalms. Psalm is a collection of Hebrew poetry that just describes what people are experiencing in life. And one of the main themes that you find is you just see these honest admittals of, of reality and of discouragement and disappointment. But it doesn't stop there. It doesn't just say, you know, and he went to sleep and that was it. It, it, it turns, the person begins to turn around in their prayer. They cry out to God. They admit, God, this is how I'm feeling. Admitting disappointment is key, though. To just wallow in it and to think about the emotions and to run them through in your mind 
and to not admit, I, I am truly disappointed right now. And not to get that out is to, is to not make progress. You will just continue to spiral into the depths. Look at Psalm 43. You see this up on the screen. We have hurt, I'm sorry, vindicate me, O God, and plead my cause against any or against an ungodly nation. Rescue me from deceitful and wicked men. You are God, my stronghold. Why have you rejected me? He's just being honest. He's, he feels rejected. Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? So he, he's being, this almost seems like, can you say that to God? Can I, can I admit to God that I feel cruddy? Can I admit to God that I feel a little ripped off? Can I admit to God that I thought I would have a different outcome? Well, what you see in the scriptures is you can. We can admit, I'm disappointed here, God. And so what he does is, rather than just wallowing in it and spinning and spiraling down and further, he cries out to God and he says, help. I need your help. Look at verse 3. He says, send forth your light and your truth and let them guide me. He's saying, I want to find the surface. I, I can't see. I need to make my way back to the surface. Let them bring me to your holy mountain, to the place where you dwell. Then will I go to the altar of God, to God my joy and my delight. I will praise you with the harp, O God, my God. Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Again, he's just getting honest. He's not living in denial. He's, he's truly asking God to help. Then he ends with, put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. He's declaring what is true. Uh, a few weeks ago, after church, I was having... Kind of a rough day. Church is over. I, I usually feel a lot better after after church is over because it feels like I'm unloading this big burden that I've been planning all week. And, and usually it might be kind of my golden hour or golden afternoon to where I'm feeling kind of good, you know. And, and then, you know, by evening I realize I've got to speak again in six days or seven days and uh, <laughs> feels rough again. But but usually after church I feel I feel pretty good and then I wasn't feeling good. This is like three weeks ago. I just wasn't feeling good. I was having a bad day. Um, I'm not sure that everything came out the way that I thought it should when I was speaking. And, and I just I, I was battling all these thoughts that weren't necessarily true. But I was just battling these thoughts. And I had some rough interaction with some people. And, and I started thinking, man, I'm just not the right guy for the job. And you know what? There's got to be. And I was thinking, you know what? There's got to be somebody who could do this better than me. There's got to be, or maybe there's, you know, maybe there's this quick fix that, I, and I just started slipping into the wrong thoughts. And uh, we'd been invited out to lunch with a group of people from church, and, and I saw my wife after church and walking in the car, and I said, I heard people are going to church, or going out to lunch. I don't want to go. She's like, okay. So we go home, and I just like, I just want to go home and go to bed. Well, this is not a good sign, typically. That's really signs of discouragement that you're allowing to lead you in the wrong direction. And uh, I go home and I, I go to bed. And I wake up and, and I begin to just share with my wife, you know, this is how I'm feeling, this is, this is what's going on in my head. And at that point, as I was expressing the way I was feeling, she could have done something that would have been really unhelpful. And uh, there was a man who, who had a really, really rough experience, much rougher than anything most of us have ever experienced. He lost his entire, you know, family's wiped out, fortune was wiped out, everything. guy's name is Job. And he goes to his wife and he, he's explaining this stuff. And she tells him this. She says, and he starts cutting himself. He's so in despair, he's cutting himself with, with pieces of broken pottery. He's scraping up his face and he's sitting in ashes. And his wife says to him, are you still holding on to your integrity? 
curse God and die. Now, that's his wife. <laughs> and uh, thankfully, my wife didn't, you know, say any of that. She, you know, she just listened. But that's not the kind of encouragement that you'd expect from your uh, partner in, in life. But Job, you know, he had a raw deal right there. And, but after I woke up from my, from my nap and I'm sharing with my wife and called out to... What we did is we called out to God together. We said, we expressed, I expressed how I was feeling in prayer. Uh, and I asked God, give me the right perspective here. I want to land on the truth. I don't want to wallow in this. I don't want to go back to bed and just... I had a meeting later that evening with our advisory team. and um, But what God did was He gave me... He, he strengthened me through the Scripture and through prayer. There's a verse that I read that afternoon. It was 1 Timothy 1.12. And I was reading, I read 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus. Those were a real encouragement to me, those books. But a verse that said, I think... Paul is saying, I think Christ Jesus our Lord who has given me the strength that he's considered me faithful, appointing me to his service. And he's talking about his role in ministry. And he's saying, you know, I'm pretty much, he felt like, Paul felt like, he was pretty much the worst guy for the job. He said, you know, I'm the chief of sinners. I'm the worst, Paul was saying, I'm the worst one. Why would you choose me, God? But he declares his strength was wrapped up in God, that God had made him competent. And his confidence was in God. And as I read through that, God began to restore my perspective that's exactly what I needed to hear. I was able to go to my meeting. I was still able to share with, with our leadership guys and just kind of say, hey, here's how I was feeling today. And they were able to listen, ask me questions, and help me land truly on the truth and, uh, and move past it. But that's, that's the first step, just admitting, voicing it, getting it out there. God, I'd, I'd really hope for something different at my age. Maybe you'd pray that. God, I really imagined myself owning a home by now. What's, what's up? Why? I'm so disappointed, God. I really thought I'd have the job that I've been training for and went to school for by now. What, what is wrong? Or, God, I, our marriage is so far from where I'm so disappointed. We're so far from where, where we vowed to be. But to express that to God rather than just to continue to run the emotions in our head and spiral downward and just to, to sleep it away, that doesn't help. And so first step is to express it. The second thing is then ask the right questions. Just to ask yourself a series of questions to begin to process properly the pain. These are all questions that come from the Old Testament. The book of, uh, the book of Proverbs and Ecclesiastes, those are wisdom passages where we get to see uh, what's in the heart of some different men. And what, what we get in this is some questions. The first question you'd want to ask in, in, as you're walking through disappointments and discouragement is, is there sin? Now, sometimes it's not the case. Sometimes you didn't do anything wrong. Sometimes you didn't violate any of God's boundaries or principles. But Proverbs 28:13 says, He who conceals his sin does not prosper. We cover over our sin. If there's things we're doing that's in outright rebellion to God, we're holding things back that God says is His. If we're violating boundaries or running past boundaries that God says are you not to cross, if there's sin, the first point is to just identify the sin and then confess it. Confess any known sin. Verses, but whoever confesses and renounces them finds mercy. This scripture has been true in my life. When I identify, when I've blown it, when I've crossed a boundary that was wrong, when I just confess it to God, God, you said this is wrong and I agree with you. It is wrong. What I did was wrong. Would you forgive me of that? Sometimes our discouragement is because we're, you know, we blew past a boundary and then our expectations and everything goes down the wrong road, but it starts back in just 
we, we, we blew it. And we need to admit that. So ask, ask that question. You know, God, I really blew it. I was selfish. I went my own way here, and I confess that to you. Would you help me to put things back together again? And he will. Another question to ask is, did I act with poor judgment? Maybe you're disappointed because another word for poor judgment is foolishness. Maybe it was just foolish. It, wasn't a, it was not a good decision. Proverbs 19.3, a man's own folly. Talking about foolishness. A man's own folly ruins his life, yet his heart rages against the Lord. We all want certain things in life. We set out to get them. And when we don't get them, we start blaming God. And our heart turns on God and we get angry at Him. We start thinking, I don't know why you always do this to me, God. And, but in, in fact, we, we may have chosen a foolish strategy. So if, admit our foolishness. Admit where we went wrong. If our expectation was based on some foolish patterns or some foolish behavior, quickly admit that to God. Two things you'll want to look out for is related to foolishness. For most of us, we fall in one of these two categories. Many of us look for an easy way in life. We look for shortcuts. We try to find a simpler way, and sometimes um, we will we'll, we'll step out of bounds. We'll tell lies. We'll do things. We'll take the easiest way. We're looking for the magic key. Another approach that's really foolish is, is reacting, just being a really reactive person, trying to manipulate others through our emotions, through our anger. You know that that might be the folly or the folly that you deal with, and, and again, that's going to lead to a lot of expectations that are not going to go well. Expectations, if we use those strategies, our expectations will not go well. We're not going to have our hopes fulfilled if we choose those two strategies. So that's just a question: Did I act with poor judgment? Another question you want to ask is: Do I have the wrong goals altogether? Maybe the expectations are just wrong altogether that we have in life. This is when we set out to do things that are really not on God's heart at all. And we fail. So we set out to do something that's really not important to God in any way, shape, or form, and we fail at it. Look at Proverbs 19.21. Many are the plans in a man's heart, but it is the Lord's purpose that prevails. God is trying to accomplish something on a much larger scale than just our own lives and our own dreams. And Disneyland sells us on a, a, a theme that we buy into and we want to live out our own dreams. And, and God's, God's much bigger than all of that. Disneyland will not last forever. And the, you know, God's kingdom will last forever. He's trying to work some purposes out to accomplish His kingdom purposes. So if you discover that maybe my goals are off, then you'll want to revise back to God's purposes. Just rearrange, revise. It may be that you need to get your goals in line with God. Check your goals. Just check out your goals and see, and then ask Him, God, are these the right goals? Another thing is, am I living with unrealistic expectations? This is the fourth question. Am I living just with totally unrealistic expectations? Scripture says that life is unpredictable. Life is unpredictable. Look at Ecclesiastes 9. So I reflected, he said, on all this and concluded that the righteous and the wise and what they do are in God's hands. But no man knows whether love or hate awaits him. And the truth is, we all have good days, and we all have bad days. But sometimes we don't believe that's true. We think we should only have good days. We should only feel good in life. He goes on, he says, I have seen something else under the sun. This is a really interesting uh, verse. The race is not to the swift. What does that mean? He's saying, you know, some races are not won by the fastest runner, or by the guy that you'd expect them to win. Or the battle to the strong. You know, some battles are won by people you'd never put your money on. 
in ways that you never could imagine victory to be gained by. Nor does food come to the wise or wealth to the brilliant or favor to the learned, but time and chance happen to them all. Things don't work out exactly as they might appear. Life is unpredictable. God, sometimes, you know, it's just our expectations are just false. So if you, if you have your heart set on how things exactly should go, as you imagine them, maybe you need to, you know, revise to reality. By just getting real. Like, what is really going on here? What is really happening in my life? And we're going to look at that in specifics next week. How to revise to reality. How to deal with the present. Because that is the key to finding your way back to the surface. The last question is, did I choose a poor strategy? Just overall. Did I choose a poor strategy? And it's not quite the same as foolishness, but sometimes there's just better ways to choose in life. Look at this piece of advice. Proverbs 15 says, plans fail for lack of counsel. You know, we have these great plans, but we don't check in with anybody. It's this amazing, brilliant, foolproof plan. We don't check in with anybody. But with many advisors, they succeed. So get good advice. There's nothing wrong with asking some, someone else to come along and take a look at your plans. All of these questions, what they do is they help us take an honest look at our expectations and some of our disappointments. And we begin to ask some questions of what we're experiencing and what we're feeling. But to just allow the feelings to capture you, which they will, is a sure sign that you're going to slip deeper down the wrong road. So begin to ask yourself. Stop first. Admit, I've been disappointed. And then begin to ask yourselves the right kinds of questions. And that will stop the spiral. Let's go to the Lord in prayer as the band comes forward and we can continue in worship. Father, thank you so much for your love. Thank you for your goodness to us, Lord. God, we all experience tough days, dark days, and some of us maybe more than others, God, but uh, we're all vulnerable to being captured by our emotions. Lord, sometimes our emotions feel so real. We believe that we might believe that they're true and that that we've got to obey them. But God, the truth is, uh, we don't. God, some of the thoughts that we have are not ours, and we buy into them. And Lord, I pray that you'd give us the ability to admit it, God, when we've got discouraged and we're we're off track because of just the wrong things, God. Lord, if there's a certain area of this message that has resonated with any of us here, Lord, I pray that we would allow you to speak more clearly to that area, God. Maybe there's some that have just determined that there's some sin issues that needs to be brought out into the open, God, that you, that you want them to confess that to you and get it straightened out. Or maybe there's some struggles that, that they need help overcoming and they want to bring in some other people to help them, to encourage them, Lord. Or God, it might just be that just our overall plans and purposes and expectations are just um, selfish or, God, they're not in line at all with what's important to you. So, God, I pray you'd help us to to make your ways and your purposes primary in our lives. Help us to live for you, Lord. And as we do that, Lord, I pray that you'd prioritize and provide, God, the other things in our life that you'd want us to, to choose. God, we love you. Thank you for your word, God. And thank you for the hope that you offer to us as we'll as we'll trust you, God, from day to day. Pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. There's, uh, if you would, take out your, your connection.